You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the most dangerous thing in America podcast, the show in which we read books by black authors and they're talked about by a black author. And you can listen if you are black or not black. This week on the podcast, we are reading the fourth chapter of Vincent Woodard's uh, The Delectable Negro. Uh, and this is going to be a shorter podcast because, well, well, because I don't like this book. <laughs> I'm now um, two thirds of the way through the book. And I'm good. I'm not going to like it. I don't like it. And that's just what it is. That is just what it is. But first, a few notes up top. Um, yeah, so I, I said that I was going to do like two chapters a week. And I'm going to try to do that. But I kept like trying to make this schedule really rigid and stuff. And then I realized why. That's not why I'm doing the podcast. I just read the books and talk about them. So uh, I will do two chapters a week on this book and stuff and they'll come out when they come out and people will listen to it if you actually are reading this book i can't imagine any other reason to listen to this podcast besides that like if you're not reading this specific book maybe other books you know you might um if it's a not if it's a fiction book you might want to know what it's about before going into it and get a little 15 minute podcast going but if it's a non-fiction book like why the hell would you want to listen to six podcasts about it unless you're interested in the subject matter and kind of want to chat about it with a friend, which is the aim of this podcast. So here on this podcast, we're going to talk about domestic rituals of consumption. The last two were 40 minutes long. Um, this one is going to be 20. I'm just filling it. I don't see how I can get to 40 minutes. I don't have that much to say. I simply don't like this book. And I'm going to get repetitive over the next three episodes, repeating why I don't like this book. But I'll go ahead and lay it out right now before I jump into the specific chapter, it's pretty simple. My basic objection is this. I thought slavery was bad. Um, I think slavery is bad, and I know it's bad, and I thought that being dehumanized and looked at as a piece of uh, like livestock was bad enough. Okay, no, actually they were looking at you like a piece of meat, like they wanted to eat you. All right, fine. Do I need a book for that? It just seems like, you know, if that's the thesis of the book, I don't know that I needed a whole book for this. I I feel like I already knew that. And I and I get it. Woodard is trying to excavate from what isn't in the historical record to bring us a different perspective. I just don't feel like the perspective is different enough. Or at times when it is different enough, I feel like that's a separate book. I feel like the book is kind of unfocused in that sense. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is the book rather than the contents of the book. Because like I said, I did not need to be convinced that slavery was bad. I picked up the book because I thought that I was going to learn something about slavery I'd never learned. Which was like, like for instance, when I, when I learned that they used to have uh, slave fights. Like what was depicted in um, Django Unchained. When I learned that that happened, even though it's kind of like the historical record is murky, I was like, oh, that's interesting. If there's a whole book on it with like, you know, um, pretty good primary sources that I could read about, then I would read it. If if I picked up that book and instead it was like, oh, here's all of this implied 
you know, we think maybe a little bit, I'd be like, all right, well, I probably didn't need a book on this. I'd probably do like a 20 minute podcast or like a, you know, article in a magazine would have been fine. Something like that. That's really what I'm getting from most of this book. It's like, oh yeah, we don't actually have a historical record of people constantly, white people constantly eating slaves. We have like, you know, some implications here or there. And then like, there's a lot of homoeroticism here and that's a form of consumption uh, in the way that he's framing it. Right. Okay. But we already knew about the regular for not regular about the uh, heterosexual uh, version of consumption. So like, it's just not a big revelation to me. Like, Oh, the, the master was fucking the female slaves. Oh, he's fucking the male slaves too. And the, and the, maybe the female uh, masters or whatever, the wives were also fucking people including female slaves there was there was homosexual fucking and rape going on all over the place all right i mean i buy it okay i'm convinced i don't know i don't really you know see the import um of his point or if there is an import like that last point right if it's all about just the idea that there is like more homosexuality in antebellum uh in slave times than than we know or can be documented. And that's what the entire book was about. That'd be far more interesting. Um, you know, or like when I read, um, the name slips me right now. C. C. Riley Snorton, I think the, the book about, um, the way the African-American body has been, um, exploited in various, you know, different ways, including, uh, for medical purposes, and for like exhibitions during slave times and all this stuff that had like a through line through it. I, I just don't think that the consumption through line works. So anyway, all of that to say, I'm just going to be repetitive over and over again, repeating that. Cause at this point now I am two thirds of the way through the book and I'm kind of upset that I have to read the last third. I, I really do want to just stop reading cause I just am not getting anything out of it. But I'm already down this road and uh, I put in too much work and you know, I am a completist. Okay. So name of this book is domestic or name of this chapter is domestic rituals of consumption. The text that he's going to interpret here is a incidents in the life of a slave girl written by herself. I didn't even take the time to go and and read this. Like I did with Frederick Douglass. I went back and like read parts of it and everything. I just didn't even care. I mean, I really just didn't. Um, about his interpreta- his interpretation of it. The book itself, I'd be fascinated to read, you know? But I just, his interpretation just wasn't that interesting to me. But okay, so the first section, so we'll just go through the sections really quick. First section is deciphering blackmail rape. So on page 147 here, let me get there. Uh, I highlighted something, it's apparently important. The note I've highlighted is nuts, so I might not even read the note, depends on what it says here. Okay, it says, uh, Oh, my colored brethren all over the world, when shall we arise from this death-like apathy and be men? Uh, And then Woodard says, the natural counterpoint to Walker, this is David Walker, David Walker's appeal to manhood is the slave. Rhetorically speaking, without the slave, there could be no liberated black man, as they each mutually defined and demarcated the threshold of the other. Yeah, that's good. Um, That that is solid, and that gets into the idea of um, uber-masculinity of black men. Uh... The idea that, like, slavery is a mindset, the Kanye conundrum, that is what I wrote in the notes. (laughs) Why did I write that? But I get it now. Um, So that's solid. It's just not anything new. So, um, 
Yeah, like the, the concept that slavery took away black masculinity and that we've been overcompensating it is well-trod territory. So that's the other thing about the book, right? So just getting back to, you know, complaints about the book itself, not the content. With any book, right? Um, you know, there's that old Woody Allen joke where he's sitting around with um, the female writer from The Lost Generation. Oh my goodness, I can't think of a name. But anyway, he's like, oh, what about this plot? And then they both go, oh, well, we agreed Hemingway already wrote that one. Oh, okay, well, what about this book? I have an idea for a book here. And ah, well, I think uh, Fitzgerald already wrote that one. And well, what about uh, this book? Oh, I think Somerset Mom already wrote that one, right? Going through like that. And so the point just being like, is there a re... Is your book bringing something new to the fore? And I just feel like most of this is not. And then so, you know, what it makes me think is that this should have been more of like an academic text, which uh, should have gone deeper because it, it is like it is academic, but it's also um, obviously it's, it's written in a way to be more like a popular book and released for the general public. So I don't think it does enough for the general public. And academically, I don't think it offers enough to be added to the conversation, right? Like, I, I feel like I would just read all of the references. Not that Walker, David Walker's appeal is, uh, Walker's appeal is, is a reference, but later on he references Bell Hooks, Angela Davis, um, Hortense Spillers, and a lady by the last name of Wallace, as well as many others. And I just feel like I would just read all of them instead, you know? Or like, a different of Woodard's contemporaries. I'm really not trying to shit on Woodard. May he rest in peace. Uh, I just don't see the point of the book. Anyway, that's probably my problem. Okay, so uh, the main thrust of this section is that black men uh, become un unmoored in gender roles uh, because their rape, such that it occurred, resulted in uh, no children, which meant it fulfilled no role. So uh, Woodard is not... I should point out here that his goal in this chapter, because I'm going to make it sound like this is his goal because I'm, you know, bad at it. Uh, his goal in this chapter is not to say that um, having no gender role is necessarily uh, bad uh, or being genderless or gender fluid. In fact, he has a passage explicitly stating that like scholars, the ones I just named, view this genderlessness as a negative and he does not necessarily view it that way. Um, but he's just explaining one way in which gender roles have in, in slave times were confused, right? Because if you were uh, a black man who was raped um, and then you had no children, you couldn't fulfill that gender role, right? Even though you fulfilled the sexual gender role, um, especially then as it was viewed as a binary thing. Uh, but um, you couldn't produce offspring, so you didn't really fulfill the gender role. So that's um, interesting, an interesting thought. Um, okay, so that, that's the upshot of that. Then in the next chapter section, it's called The Master's Epicure. Uh, Woodard, Woodard says these are the most gruesome scenes. Um, sketches of neighboring slaveholders, and these scenes sound horrible, but they don't sound like consumption. I mean, they're bad, so, you know, no one's... Um, no one's not saying that they're bad. It's just always the question of, does this tie to the theme? 
you know, everything that Woodard presents. But okay, anyway. So then on page 157 here, I've written that Woodard misused a metaphor. Let's see if that's true. Okay, so it wasn't that he misused a metaphor. It's more that he just... So, so here's what it says. Um, this is Mary Prince writing in the history of Mary Prince, a West Indian slave. Uh, she describes herself on the auction block. I was soon surrounded by strange men who examined and handled me in the same manner that a butcher would a calf or a lamb he was about to purchase. Yeah, actually, that is a misuse of metaphor because that's what it is, a fucking metaphor, you know? It's a fucking metaphor. And the idea that we, that, that black people have been trading on bodies and been handled like meat, you looking at me like a piece of meat, that expression's as old as time. So, I just, whatever. Okay, I'm complaining too much. Let's move on. Um, so there, um, page 162, the last little, there's another little thing here that I, it's just more complaining, honestly. But it's it's a part where, He's describing something, and I think it sounds more like describing an animal. Um, he, he says, You had young adults with well-developed bodies running around the plantation, sometimes in their 20s, fully exposed to whites. Uh, and this is like where they weren't having, um, you know, clothing. Um, and he references people who were interviewed by the WPA and stuff. And, and it's horrible. Again, it's horrible. Nobody's disagreeing. So... I don't want to keep, I don't want to keep harping, really, because it's not interesting. Last two sections, that's why I'm just getting to this quick. If you, if you enjoyed this book, please reach out. I would love to hear if you're listening to this podcast and you think that this book is good or like, whatever, I mean, it's not bad, but like that it is adding something to the conversation. I would really like to hear it because I really don't, I guess I'm just missing it. So if, if you can send a message on the website or whatever, that'd be great. Um, okay, so the next section is hunger and gender inversion. This section I just found to be painstaking, just absolutely painstaking. Uh, the basic premise here is just trying to get to the idea that um, women on the plantation who were in positions of power be them daughters or wives of the master, were influenced by the hunger of the master and then practiced uh, homosexual rape against or, or sexual abuse against um, black women and black children and black men and black girls and black boys. And yeah, that's the main point of that section. He ties it back into consumption, but this is where I wrote the note about how, like, is this really consumption? I mean, yeah, okay. And in, in, in as much that uh, sexuality and sexual consumption are a form of consumption, then it's consumption. But it, it seems loose to me. And then finally, the final section, uh, male mothers and female masters. Uh, this has one of the best points in the book. Let's go to it. It's on page 183. I'm going to use that fancy, you now you get that tool where it says go to page and you just type that in. Because what I was doing before, I was scrolling. You hate that. You hate that. All right. He says, uh, gender ambiguity. I'm, I'm actually cheating here. So I'm skipping the first part. Blah, blah, blah. Gender ambiguity mapped onto Negroid bodies helped concretize uh, the exclusion of African-Americans from the humane categories of mother, father, statesman, son, daughter, citizen, and so forth. That's similar to what Norton was talking about, I think, as well. And so 
how you basically make the black body into this hunk of flesh and from it you can carve out whatever you want but you're not going to carve out any of those humane categories mother father statesman son daughter citizen and so forth you can carve out uh, a skeleton or a cadaver to be used to help the white body you can carve out a mule for work right and just a black mule you can carve out some kind of sex toy for the sex fantasies you have this is a fantastic point it's not woodard's he's quoting spillers and then this whole section he quotes spillers and davis and wallace and uh what's it bell hooks to point out that their points about genderlessness is negative fine i guess but at least their points are interesting i i don't know and if all you wanted to do is point out that they're negative, I feel like you should have just written a whole book on the genderlessness of black bodies, which is what uh, C, I believe it's C. Riley Snorton, um, was writing about and is interesting. It's an interesting idea, you know? That was a hard book to understand, but like that was a new idea. And you know what else I liked about that book as well? it tied into the modern times, right? So it didn't, it went from slavery times to now. And I just think that's important to show to a mass audience, right? Not a, I'm not a dum-dum, but I'm not an academic in this area. So tying it into the, um, into the modern times shows me that this is a idea worth pursuing and excavating. If it's not tied in, it's not worth pursuing and excavating, in my opinion. But maybe I've missed the plot. Again, please explain it to me if you're listening. Um, that's pretty much it. I have one more note. It's on page 182. And it is something that Spillers did. And Moten did it a bunch. And there's another writer in this chapter who does it who, who Woodard quotes, but I can't remember who it is. Um... So I'm going to read the passage and, I'll, and then I'll stop and explain it a little bit. As a category of, quote, otherness, the captive body translat, T-R-A-N-S-L-A-T, brackets, I-N-G, so translating, but spelled that way, into a potential for pornotroping and embod, E-M-B-O-D, brackets, Y-I-N-G, embodying, and then the rest of it. This fucking sucks. People who write this way suck. That shit sucks. This is academic text. Stop. I don't fucking like it. I'm sorry. It's not good. All right. Maybe I need to read the entire Spiller's essay. But just in general, when I'm reading books like... When I'm reading poems, fine. When I'm reading uh, creative nonfiction, absolutely. When I'm reading fiction, yes. When I'm reading about uh anything serious it's got to be i guess if it were a work of philosophy maybe it just feels like so out of fucking it just feels so out of place and so dumb in many instances translat and then in it because the thing is is that it doesn't work that's not even the fucking word before the bracket t-r-a-s t-r-a-n S-L-A-T is not the word. Just throw the E on then if you're going to do this. It doesn't fucking matter anyway, right? The grammar's off anyway. You might as well have the captive body trans 
or I guess if what you're trying to get to is trans, have that by itself, whatever it is, do a better job of it. This sucks. I hate it. I hate this style. I especially hate it in any pseudo-academic text. Uh, it really bothers me, and I wish people would stop doing it. Unless you're writing a poem, and when you're writing a poem, do whatever you want. Creative nonfiction, same thing. Um, and I guess the biggest problem is this. This is why I dislike it so much. It's not your prose, it, whatever your prose is in, is in any of these books in general, it sucks. Right? I'm never, I have not, I have yet to read a person who is writing a book in this style, right? Woodard, Moton, uh, Bell Hooks, um, whatever else I've read in, in doing this podcast and before. I've yet to read a Fanon, even Fanon, uh, who has good prose. Where I walk away from it going like, that was really well written. Like, that was good prose. I, I liked the way that was written and it mattered. The way it was written mattered. It typically does not. It typically sucks. Typically the writing doesn't suck or whatever. Not Sucks is the wrong thing. But like, it's just not, it's its own style of writing. It's a style of writing for the type of work you're doing. Which is fine. It's important work. You're not, you know, typically speaking, an artist. So I'm not reading it for the artistic bent. So stop fucking putting it in there. I hate it. Even Du Bois, uh, you know, like the soul that that one double consciousness passage is good, and the souls of black folk, and there's some other passages here that are good, but by and large those essays are like hard to get through as well. But I think you could categorize those as like, also you know you get a pass if like, you're one of the first black people writing something in America that's not a slave narrative. Uh, you know, you're like the father of African-American letters. So you get kind of a pass. But at any rate, I really, 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 really dislike that style of writing. And um, it bothers me a ton. Okay, we're going to call it there. This is 20 minutes. Told you, we halved it. We halved it because I don't like this book. And... um I feel kind of bad about that. I usually don't bash books on here. And if you don't know any of this shit, you maybe you should read this book. I, again, am assuming that if you've read this book, you know a lot of this stuff already. Right? That would be my assumption. Somebody, this, I would be shocked if this was the first book on slavery a person read. So if it's like the 15th or 20th or 100th book you've read, it's like, meh, you know? Um, but anyway... I will be back soon, possibly tomorrow, you know, like, so if you're really following this podcast, you might get the second uh, podcast in a row very quickly, possibly in a week, but no matter what, if you're just trying to find um, a companion to read the book with, that second podcast will come out about chapter five, and then after that, there'll be one more on this book, chapter six, plus like my closing thoughts. And yeah, and then we'll be done with Woodard. And then, yeah, I have a bunch of fiction I'm going to do. A couple of books people sent me. And uh, some books that I just finished in the meantime that are not Woodard related. So, um, that's all coming. Please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, which is the one I use. Uh, rate and review, YouTube. Uh, if you want to read something I wrote, it's in the show notes. I wrote a book. That's in the show notes. If you'd ever wanted to support the podcast, you just buy that book. It's like three bucks. 
even have to read it, buy it on Kindle. I was gonna say throw it in the trash, but you can't because it's on a Kindle, but buy it. It's about a comedian who starts a cult. So there's that. The music is of course by the Keep Running. His link is in the show notes. And yeah, that's gonna do it. Until next time, stay safe, stay black, and keep reading. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. There was time now. There was was all the time I needed. That's not fair. That's not fair.